Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 26 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem, not to mention solving the correct problem correctly. We have an ad hoc episode planned for today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's still divided into three parts, you, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers, and rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, please contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and you can always tune in afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whoever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today, for our you part, we have sinister gun owners, or maybe not, condo owners left holding bags, and time permitting, a response that we received to my response to liquor store privatization. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, our guest today had to reschedule at the last minute, so in her place... You get me instead. (laughs) It's going to be a little nutty because I'm going to be addressing some real nuts and bolts issues for those of you who may consider getting into politics. I call this how you can become a force for freedom without muffing it, unlike how I handled it. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it'll be my turn. Your caster, Ken Krawchuk, talking again, focusing on one particular issue that really sticks in my craw. And today's rant is about the two old parties stealing libertarian ideas. That's an interesting one. I can't wait. And throughout the show, as always, we're featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes into our mailbag. Today, we have a returning Toastmaster from the Cerner Toastmasters Club, Dodie Preston. Dodie, welcome back. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure. I know. Sometimes people, I'm always surprised people don't run out the door at the mid-break. Screaming. Yeah. (laughs) But here you are. You're back again. Yes, it's fu- it's fun. Thank you. Oh, Happy to be here. Yeah, no, thank you. Now, last time I asked you what you liked about Toastmasters, but th- since I already asked you that, I'm going to hit you with a new table topic question. I'm, uh-oh. I'm ready. Well-trained. <laughs> <laughs> you're with Cerner Toastmasters. Why do you like the Cerner's Toastmasters Club? Um, um? I originally, well, I have to think now because it is table topic, so I get a few seconds to think. Um, t- 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 yes, not to say um. That's right. Have to break that habit. Cerner Toastmasters has primarily helped me work on that. They are a great club that gives good feedback, good and bad. What have you done well? What do you still have to work on? They are they are a club to contend with. They have produced some really phenomenal speakers that compete. They're impressive and they're fun. They're mm-hmm. just a blast to be around. <laughs> That's why I like the Drexel Club. That's my favorite Toastmasters club because yeah. it's it's always fun. All students. And I think it's going to be in episode 28. I'm going to have three of them simultaneously as my guest. Oh, my goodness. That's great. I'm looking forward to that yeah. one. I'm looking forward to a lot of this. I have fun doing this. I don't know if you could tell or not. Uh, yeah, we can all tell. And as I mentioned in the last episode, we are shifting the role a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're now calling you cohort, not just narrator. <laughs> so we expect you to jump in there every now and again. Okay, so that I'll way, do what I can. That's the way it's not all Ken all the time. Okay. 
So I know some people complain about that, but that's all right. They're people who complain anyway. <laughs> Enough of that. Haters going to hate. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so let's dig into the mailbag. And okay. Let's remember our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. What do we got, Dodie? Our first email is from Zygmunt Reichenbach. He's in Rowlett, Pennsylvania. Roulette, Pennsylvania. Apologies. Good afternoon, Ken. I was thinking about the Second Amendment and how the public misunderstands why the Second Amendment exists. The Second Amendment secures our natural right to defend our lives and our property. Yet, the national media and other activist outfits insist people want to own guns for some other inane or sinister purpose. Why do Republicans and Libertarians let such groups spin the narrative away from the fact that we just want to defend ourselves and our property? Mm, good one. Thanks for that question, Zygmunt. And I hope you don't mind if I shift the focus from the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution to Article 1, Section 21 of the Pennsylvania Constitution, because after all, this is the Pennsylvania Project, and we are Pennsylvania here. But let me, let me compare the wordings so we can do a proper shift. We all know what the Second Amendment says. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not bad, but Article 1, Section 21 of the Pennsylvania Constitution says it's a lot shorter. The right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Which one do you like better? Mm -hmm. It's obvious which one I like. There's no question in my mind which one's better. But regardless of which constitution you look at, Zygmunt, you are correct. The constitution does secure our rights to keep and bear arms. And I like that phrasing, securing our natural right. Because the constitution does not give us our rights. We already have our rights. And self-defense is a natural human right. The purpose of any constitution is to secure that right among many, many other rights. You're also correct. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the right to bear arms starting with what I just said about Constitution securing that right instead of granting us that right. And you're correct again, the national media vilifies gun owners horribly. In fact, it was the episode of the very first episode of Pennsylvania Project, episode one, in my very first rant that I came down hard on the national media about how badly they spin facts out of context. And I was specifically picking on the Washington Post. Awful. Now, although you're correct about all those things, I do take exception to your statement that libertarians let such groups spin the narrative away from the fact that we just want to defend ourselves and our property. Well, if you've been listening to the Pennsylvania Project, and obviously you had, you sent in a question, you know we're very strong supporters of all your natural rights, including the right to keep and bear arms, and for the right reasons. Episode 4 was all about the right to keep and bear arms, and again, the beginning of episode 12, and it popped up here and there as we were going along. But getting to the specifics of your question, how do we spin away from the sinister and the inane and back towards ourselves and our property? Well, as you know, the motto of our Pennsylvania project here is that it's more important to solve the problem, the correct problem, rather than solving the problem correctly. So when it comes to guns, what's the correct problem? To my mind, it's how to save the most lives. And there's tons of irrefutable evidence that defending the right to bear arms is the best way to save lives. And I'll just do a brief recap of some of the things I mentioned in prior episodes. John Lott, a researcher at the University of Chicago, did a nationwide county-level study. He found that if a woman resists an attacker, she's twice as likely to be seriously injured. But if she resists with a handgun, she's half as likely to be seriously injured. And my soundbite from that is that handguns are a girl's best friend. 
He also found that the places with the strongest gun control had the highest rate of gun crime. In other words, gun control kills. Northeastern Northeast University in Boston did a study recently and found that mass shootings are one quarter what they were in the 90s. It's your mainstream media that's obfuscating that fact because they love to stir up controversy, even when there's none, because it's their goal to sell advertising. We knew that. But if you're looking for the best defense for the right to keep and bear arms, it came from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. President Obama commissioned them to do a study on gun violence. And of course, the NRA went crazy saying, it's not a disease. Why do you have a disease looking at it? But the CDC did it anyway, and they found out the truth, capital T. What was it? Several things. There's no evidence that gun restrictions reduce gun violence. They found there's no evidence that passage of right-to-carry laws decrease or increase violent crime. They found that gun turn-in programs are ineffective. But best of all, they found out that if you want to defend yourself, the best choice is a gun. Of course, the mainstream media tried to bury the study, but not us here at the Pennsylvania Project. I guess it's the third time I've mentioned it, fourth time I've mentioned it. Third or fourth, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Now, Zygmunt, granted, some libertarians are not as eloquent as they should be. I guess they need Toastmasters, huh? But we're learning how to present it. You start off with these irrefutable facts, and you quote the CDC, the FBI, all these important people. My personal answer to countering that spin is to repeatedly bring it up on our show. And while I was on the gubernatorial campaign trail, I ran for governor in 2018, I got into innumerable colleges, high schools, middle schools, and I gave them the same unvarnished truth over and over and over, how guns save lives and gun control kills. So at least for this libertarian, it's not for lack of trying. And the same goes for a lot of my co-libertarians. Anytime somebody brings up a question like yours, not about guns, but about any subject they feel strongly about, I have a mantra, the mantra of the grassroots activist. It's easy to remember, 10 words, two letters each. If it is to be, it is up to us. Or if you want to make it personal, it is up to me. So in light of that mantra, I would suggest you stop following the biased national media. Don't read it. Don't read the Washington Post, Boston Globe, Chicago Tribune, Los Angeles Times, none of them. Don't give them the benefit of your clicks. Educate yourself. Read John Lott's study, Northeastern University study, the CDC study. Join Toastmasters so you can present it better. Mm-hmm. Tell people about these results every time the topic comes up. Fight back with the truth and maybe you should run for office yourself, Sigmund. That way you can get into the schools and you can tell them the unvarnished truth. Good luck. It's up to us. Let me know if you need my help, Zygmunt. I'd be happy to help. Ken, our second email came in from Herb Reinstrom. He's in Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. Hey, fellow Toastmaster, I have a beef with my condo association, which will remain nameless. We had a roofing done, which the condo owners had to pay for. We also had to move our cars so the condo could work on the parking. Don't you agree that condo associations have too much to say and owners are left holding the bag? Please have me on your show as an announcer. Signed, Toastmaster Herb. (laughs) Hey, Herb. Good to hear from you. Herb doesn't live too far away from me. I know Herb. You know, I hear lots of complaints about condo associations. Not just Valley Green, Glen, Valley Gloom. Which will remain nameless. Well, no, he said he has a beef with his condo association, which will remain nameless. The beef will remain nameless. That's the way I read that. (laughs) 
with. Okay, got it. I don't name my beef anyway. But getting back to the Valley, whoever they are, your condo association, don't take me wrong, Herb, but I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who don't like their condo associations because you moved in there. You can always move back out. Condo associations are kind of a microcosm of our local government, state, not so much federal, because it's self-governance at the most local level. Maybe a couple of acres, a couple of buildings, but still self-government. That means, Herb, if you don't like it, if you don't want to, see, if you want to see change, it's self-government. You have to do it yourself. So, Herb, run for condo president. You've been a Toastmaster longer than I have. You have the leadership skills, the communication skills. So if you're unhappy with your condo situation, odds are many of your neighbors are too. You could tap into that anger. Get yourself elected. As Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world or in your condo. And just like I mentioned this segment a minute ago, remember the mantra of the grassroots activist or the condo activist. Repeat after me, Herb. If it is to be, it is up to me. If it is to be, it is up to me. And don't forget to invite me to your victory party when you get elected, or I'll help you move. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm looking at the time. We are not going to have a chance to get to Chris's question because it's going to go on for a bit. Uh, you know what? Yeah, we'll give it a shot. No, no, we won't. With that, uh, we are going to – it's going to have to do it for the you portion of our show for episode 26 – We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we're going to start getting into the nuts and bolts of how you can become a force for freedom without muffing it. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do those words sound like there's something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes from taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? Most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you are like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be a no, no, and no. 
Well, it's long past time we changed those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up on our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, please add your name to the growing list of signers. Every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So, please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's on top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it, your neighbors, your co-workers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I certainly did wonder why. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the them portion of episode 26 of the Pennsylvania Project where we usually host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. As I mentioned a little bit ago, our guest today had to postpone, sad to say. So instead, I'll be providing something different, the basic nuts and bolts for those who are interested in getting into politics. It's going to be from my own personal experience. This is how I started some 25 years ago, and I've gone through the approach, and it still holds true today. It all starts with the same thing. Do you ever get angry at your government cursing at the TV or you saw something in the news that really, really ticked you off? Mm-hmm. What'd you do about it? Did you just shrug? Just ignore it? Did you stop following the news? <laughs> stop reading the Washington Post, right? Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with a novel solution. Get up and do something about it. Ben Franklin once said that people are always saying, somebody should do something about that. So if you want to be somebody, get up and do something about that. The question becomes what? How? How do you go from becoming, from being a lone voice in the wilderness to becoming a force to be reckoned with? More importantly, how do you do it without setting the freedom movement back 10 years? Let me take you on a journey based on my own experiences, my own successes, my own mistakes. I found that to be successful in politics, you need to follow three steps. Number one, know your enemy. Number two, know your friends. Number three, know yourself. Let's start with knowing your enemy. When it comes to politics, it's usually obvious who the enemy is. It's them golder and politicians. Oh, yeah. And if you want to know your enemy, the best thing to do is seek them out in their lair. Go where the politicians go. And no, I'm not talking about the bar. Best place to start is at your local town meeting. Every town council, every school board has monthly meetings, usually in the evening. Give them a call. Ask, when is it? Where is it? What time does it start? And then go. Sit in a corner. Watch. Don't do anything. Just learn from the watching. Take your time. Go back for the next meeting and the next and the next. And just pay attention. Just watch. Because in politics, tenacity is a virtue. You can't just do it once and vanish. And the more you go, your friends and family are going to start to wonder, what is the matter with him? But don't let that stop you. Because when you go, I guarantee you're going to see several things. First of all, I guarantee you get, you're going to hear something stupid, something unconstitutional. No question. 
you'll also start to learn who's who. And when you read the news the next day, you're going to know much more than the reporter is telling. As a matter of fact, it's going to reveal the honesty of the reporter for you. You may find out about things weeks, months in advance before it becomes big news. Going to those meetings is crucial because once you know that setup, you can start using it to your advantage ultimately. But you know, I call them the enemy. Know your enemy. But are they really the enemy? Actually, they're, they're not. Because when I first got involved in politics, I'll tell you, I was expecting slash tires, threats, and things like that. Instead, I found that most of these politicians actually care very deeply and honestly for the community. It's very interesting. I'll give you one example. I was running for state rep, my first race, 1994, and I got a call out of the blue. Some lady, she said, you've got to get over to Alverthorpe Park right away. I said, why? Well, your, your opponent is there shaking hands, and you should be there too. Hmm. I said, well, who is this? That's not important. What's more important is you get over there and start shaking hands. Click. So there you go. This is the sort of thing I ran into. And it's not just these random anonymous calls. Because after you start going to these meetings, you're going to find they're going to start talking to you. See, newcomers will stand out. Because usually it's only the same 10, 20 people who go to these meetings. So they're going to see you. And they're going to come over and talk to you. They may ask you to serve on a volunteer board. Or if after a couple of meetings, maybe even to champion some of their issues once they know where you stand. You know, it's up to you how you answer these requests. Maybe you do it. Maybe you want to wait. But whatever you do, don't muff it. Don't muff it. Because, see, first impressions are important. The impetus for a newbie is very, very great just to jump up and give them hell. You know, and that's what I did. I did that my first race. My maiden voyage into the public eye was a black eye. It was a letter to the editor I sent to Philadelphia's largest newspaper at the time, Philadelphia Inquirer. The opening line of the letter said, Pure, blind stupidity. And I went off on the school board. They set up a, a plan to have mandatory police involvement every time they had they found a kid with drugs. I called it putting kids in prison with the child molesters. I just went on and on and on and on. Well, I won that argument because I actually got an apology from the school board and everything like that. And they rescinded that policy two weeks later after much fanfare they introduced it. I won, but it took me years to get past that because people were viewing me as the as that rowdy guy. Oh, it's that that guy with the pure blind stupidity letter. But even Irv Homer, who was my predecessor here on WWDB as the Libertarian, even even he told me I made a big mistake because you know you may think that they're your make maybe your enemy. They can actually become your friend. Worst enemy you have could be you. Well, now that you know your enemy, that's number one. Second step is to know your friends. And they're not normally people you would associate with or work with. Any sort of a fellow traveler can be a friend and not necessarily somebody you, that you, who's in your party. Like a lot of my friends in the local scene, they were not libertarians. There were some politicians I agreed with on some issue, some citizens from the audience. Maybe it's just one single issue. Don't let that stop you from working with them because they always say politics makes strange bedfellows. Don't muff it. Just because their views are radically different, if there's one thing you agree on, do it. And I'll give you one great example. Township did a secret deer hunt. I went out for going to work in the morning. There are cops surrounding a local park. I asked the cop, what's up? He says, oh, they're doing a deer hunt. 
It's like, what's going on? I went to the next meeting. I asked him, who authorized this? When was it authorized? How's it being paid for? What budget's it coming from? And you know what they did? This meeting is adjourned. <laughs> and they adjourned it out from under me. It was on the front page of the paper the next day. Man left at podium asking questions. Actually, it was a lectern, but that's beside the point. But one of the members of the audience came up to me and he said, listen, I want to work with you to end these secret deer hunts. He was with the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals. And now, I love my pizza steaks. I'm not a PETA supporter. But we worked together to end those secret deer hunts. I didn't mind the deer hunts. I just minded the secrecy. He didn't care about the secrecy. He just minded the deer hunts. But we worked together and we ended those, the secrecy, but not the deer hunts. Poor guy. <laughs> so you never know where your friends may be, even though they don't agree with you at all. And one of the biggest friends, Sigmund, you'll ever find is your mainstream media. I know how corrupt they are, but you will never find a bigger megaphone anywhere unless you run for office. They'll give you the broadest coverage and not you just singing to the choir of you and your friends or your Facebook friends. But you have to understand the media. Otherwise, it just won't do you any good. You know, what's the purpose of the media, do you think? Is to inform the public? Uncover corruption? Mold public opinion? Dodie, what do you think? What's their purpose? I'm waiting to hear what you have to say. <laughs> sell banner ads there to sell go. advertising in papers. Never forget. That's why they're there. They don't care. So keeping that in mind, there are lots of ways to get in the media. And the absolute worst is to try to run a commercial. It's expensive. Banner ads get passed over. How many banner ads did you look at? Look at or produce? <laughs> oh, no, you're one of those. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked. Sorry. A better way than running ads is to post comments in the comment section after articles. But again, you're preaching to the choir there, and it's not a wide audience. It's good, but it's not really that good. But, and if, but if you do comment, remember, whether it's Facebook or whatever, be brief. Stick to one topic. If you say something nasty, remember, the internet never forgets. It'll come back to haunt you one day. Like, what's her name? Christine Coulter, the Philadelphia police commissioner. She just got appointed. I think she got appointed. I don't pay too much attention to Philadelphia. But they found a picture of her from a quarter century ago wearing a t-shirt that said, Los Angeles Police Department, we treat you like a king, meaning Rodney King. <laughs> so it came back to haunt her and people are calling for a resignation. Oh so my goodness. be nice. But without a doubt, the best way, absolute best way to get into the media is to make your own news. Yep, make your own news. Sounds scary? Well, you know what? We're going to pause for this information. And when we return, we're going to talk about how you can make your own news. I have a quick question. When we come back. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK. Or visit them on Instagram at... Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. 
You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio podcast. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk with a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. Again, 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. <laughs> yes, the, the fine print. You should read that really fast. As fast as I could. Uh, that's good. No, it's fine. <laughs> Tripping over it. All right. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we are back with episode 26 of the Pennsylvania Project without our guests and with only me and my cohort, Dodie. And before the break, we covered one and a half of the three ways to be successful in politics. Know your enemy, know your friends, and know yourself. Now, Dodie, you wanted to jump in there with something. I do have a question. So I want to know, did you go back? Did you drop everything that you were doing and go and shake hands? Of course. You did. And okay. I've never kissed a baby, though. Uh-oh. You got to. You always have to. You have to be nice. You know, most, most politicians, and I am not a politician. I don't call myself that because I have not broken a promise yet. But all politicians. Good for you. Thank I'm you. proud of you. Yes. All politicians are nice, nice people. Have to be a nice person, otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just—it's not going to happen. Right. And inside the Libertarian Party, there's some people like to to argue. They just like to. Sometimes we say Libertarians like to eat their young. In fact, I was going to do a rant about what I call negatarians, but it was much too parochial, so I left it off. So we're in the middle of discussing with your. F- 
discussing your friends in the media and how to get their attention. And that was by making your own news. No, not like robbing a bank or something like that. And I bet most of us don't think of ourselves as newsmakers. But you know, it's not that difficult to do. All you have to do is stage some kind of an event, like a demonstration or a rally out in the street. Nothing gets the media's attention like a bunch of people marching around. And it's simple to let them know what's going on. Just send out a press release. Oh, excuse me, news release. Since there's not many presses left anymore, some people get really picky about that. <laughs> I'll give you a couple great examples. Several years ago, we staged a protest at Philly International Airport right after they put in those TSA scanners. We had a release, simple, straightforward, short and sweet, one page, three paragraphs, that was it. Paragraph one, and this is right out of the book, who, what, where, when, and why. Who was we don't, we won't fly.com. The what was National Opt-Out Day. Where was Philly International Airport? When was 7 p.m. on Thanksgiving Eve? Why to protest the pornographic scanners they put in and to encourage the public not to fly on the busiest travel day of the year. Paragraph two, quote yourself. It's always fun. Quote, why are they treating travelers like terrorists? What value in defending America if we betray the values that define her? And of course, the ever popular, enough is enough. Paragraph three, boilerplate, very important boilerplate. We Won't Fly is a grassroots organization dedicated to preserving basic human dignity. We include a contact name, Number, website, email address. That's it. Simple. Very simple. Three paragraphs. That's it. Now that you have it, you got to send it out. But where? Fortunately, our fine state has solved that problem for us. They publish a book called the Pennsylvania Manual. It's a Bible-sized book all about Pennsylvania. The history, the elected officials, government organization, all that stuff. And yes, it is online. Pennsylvania Manual. But best of all, in the back, it's got a chapter that lists every single news outlet in the state. Print, broadcast, cable, and lots more. It's got phone numbers, websites, fax numbers, everything. What you do is just call the main number and ask them where to send a press release, or news release, whatever you call it. Then you just set up one of these auto-mailers like MailChimp or Constant Contact or whatever and send out your release maybe a week in advance and then send out a reminder the day before so they know it's coming. So now you're all set. You got the place, you got the people, you got the release, you got the media, but you're missing one major item, the cops. Yeah, yeah, the cops, we gotta deal with them. What I do, I call them, I warn them. I call it a courtesy call, I'll say, I'll just start with some desk, desk guy, I say, hi, my name is Ken, this is a courtesy call to let you know we're going to be holding a protest in Philadelphia International Airport at 7 p.m. on Thanksgiving Eve. If you have any questions, here's my phone number. Hmm. And I stop. And they said, wait a minute. And I get to talk to a sergeant. And he says, wait a minute. And I get to talk to a lieutenant. Said, wait a minute. And I get to talk to a captain. Hmm. And the captain always says the same thing. You have every right to protest. Now, sometimes you do that. You're still paranoid. I did that once at the IRS. And they were just nasty to me. They are the IRS after all. So what I did is I sent them a certified letter saying what I said in the, in the phone call. And I sent a copy to the police and I sent a copy to the Libertarian Party. So now you got an event. You told the media, you told the cops, but you still have to tell all your friends. And the easiest way to do that is just hand out your press release, take it to your local political meeting that you're going to, give it to other travelers, people at work, 
And you know what happens? Nobody's going to show. It doesn't matter, though. I had an event. We were protesting our state rep. She voted to triple our signature requirements to get on the ballot. And we put this big thing together. We said, all right, we're going to do it. We sent out the press release, followed exactly what I got, what I told you just now. Five people showed up. Five people. But the CBS affiliate showed up with cameras. And they took pictures. And they had their the anchor reading it while the pictures of our protest was in the background. And they staged the camera in such a way that it looked like there was that all five of us were in the frame at once. And the, the anchor started off the, the news thing saying, the Abington Libertarians were out in force tonight. There were only five of us. It doesn't matter how many people there are if you make it onto the media. That's all. We had handouts. We had this eye-catching thing called the Declaration of Indignation written in old-fashioned script. It cribbed from the Declaration of Independence saying they've raised our signature requirements three times and all that kind of stuff. And then after it's over, you send out another press release. Tell them what happened. Same thing. Who spoke? What was said? Same closing boilerplate. And that way, even if the press didn't show up, they could report on it like they were there. Events like this are a great, great way to push your cause, whatever it is. It helps you to get to know your friends in the media, the politicians, because they can't ignore that kind of stuff. You get to know your neighbors because they show up. You get to know the reporters. And speaking of reporters, you got to be careful. Don't muff it. Because when you're talking with reporters, you got to be careful. Be sure to give them your quotes and your handouts and everything. Be brief. Don't ramble. Stick to one topic. And always, always, always speak on the record. There was once, once in 1997, I spoke off the record. Philadelphia Inquirer. The next day, it was, it was there in the paper. It's like, dude, I told you I was off the record. Never, never speak off the record. Because everything's always on the record. Everything. Everything is on the record. And the most important thing about reporters, never, ever, ever lie to a reporter. They're going to find you out. I've, I'm a guest columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and they fact-checked every single word I said. And if they catch you in a lie, it's over. The media is the worst possible enemy you can make, even though they could become your best friend. So now you know your enemies, some of whom can become your friends. And you know your friends, some of whom can become your enemies. But the third step really is to know yourself. This is your biggest chance to muff it. Because you're going to be faced with situations you've never encountered before. You're going to learn things about yourself you never suspected before. But you'll find yourself surprised with your strength, your endurance. And you're going to be humbled by your mistakes and your missed opportunities. Because there's always, always too much to do. I guarantee it. Political activism can can take over your entire life and demand more. It's like having balls on, trying to balance balls on a flat chunk of wood. They're going to roll off. You're not going to keep them on there. And you're going to watch them roll. And you're going to know they're going to roll off. And you're going to say, oh, I lost it. You have to set priorities, clear priorities, and stick to them. For me, it's family, job, then politics, and in that order. Because if you stop a congressional pay raise, it's going to be a hollow victory if you lose your job because you spent too much time on it. And you've got to watch out for those activism-inspired divorces, libertarian divorces, I, I call them, because you're not spending enough time with your family. Be sure, set time limits and stick to them. 
What I learned early on is that every Friday night was with my family, period. No matter what was going on, it was theirs. Family, job, politics. And I actually became a Toastmaster after I got involved in politics, and I put Toastmasters between family and politics, between, excuse me, between job and politics, because it enables politics. When, you, when you're out there running for office, you'll find yourself doing things you've never done before, like speaking in public, organizing events, motivating volunteers, all in all just being a leader. These are extraordinary skills that your typical government educational system does not nurture. But where do you learn these kinds of skills? Toastmasters. <laughs> there you go. I didn't have to prompt you on that one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mission of Toastmasters is to provide, uh, provide a supportive environment for learning public speaking and communication skills. And leadership. And leadership. Did I get that backward? I was turning the page. No, no, no. It's all good. When I first joined Toastmasters 8,013 days ago, almost 22 years ago, I used to be terrified to stand up in front of an audience. And today, I'm going to put on national television more times than I could tell you. Here I'm on the radio every, every episode. And I could talk to a crowd of thousands just as easily as I talk one-on-one and much more capably. These are the sort of things you can learn at Toastmasters. You learn all the tricks of the trade, like eye contact, gestures, props, like my constitution never far from my elbow. You learn that personal stories are always the best. One thing I learned from Bill Clinton, of all people, when somebody asked him a question, he would stop and he'd count to three. You'd see him counting mentally in his mind to three before he started an answer. What that did is that prevented him from stepping over the questioner because sometimes they're nervous and they stop and they start again. But it made him look intelligent. What a trick. <laughs> I like that. I do too. I learned it from Bill Clinton. Another thing, always remember to thank your hosts because you're going to wind up, if you follow these tricks, you're going to wind up looking better than the competition and they are not going to know why. You'll be able to learn what to do when your mind goes blank. You practice thinking on your feet. I mentioned this before. This is one of my favorites. During the Monica Lewinsky thing, I was running for governor. And some wiseacre in the audience, he says, yeah, I got a question. You cheat on your wife? Oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't miss a beat. I said, not yet. What did you have in mind? <laughs> and the audience laughed because when he asked it, the audience went, oh, but it defused the situation. Right. You practice answering those hard questions. We practice that in Toastmasters all the time. Random questions. Another thing Toastmasters does is it gives you a place where you can practice your speeches. I practice all my political speeches at Toastmasters, and you get friendly feedback, supportive feedback. It's enough to give you the confidence. It's enough to give you the polish. And you wind up with a, with a radio show someday, right? You see, you can have the best message in the world, but it's useless if you can't communicate it effectively. And it's not just public speaking. Toastmasters is more about that. It's about leadership, as I was reminded a moment ago, how to run a meeting, how to facilitate things, Diplomacy. I learned diplomacy in Toastmasters. I never expected that. Toastmasters gave me my wings, brought me to where I'm sitting right now, and you can claim your own wings. Visit toastmasters.org. So there you have it. How to become someone in politics without muffing it, by knowing your friends, knowing your enemy, knowing yourself. What to do with that knowledge? Up to you. Remember what I told Zygmunt and Herb back at the top of the hour? The mantra of that grassroots activist. It's easy to remember. Ten words, two letters each. 
if it is to be, it is up to us. Or if you want to make it personal like I have, it is up to me. Whatever your passion is, whether it's local government, better schools, helping the needy, running for condo association president, I leave it up to you. So on that inspiring note, that's going to wrap it up for the them portion of episode 26. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'll be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, the two old parties stealing libertarian ideas. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Dodie, how's it going? Uh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found this great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to do a 1099 con... Excuse me, they want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out all the tax laws, filing all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. It's the damned 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. Amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. You can't beat that. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is awaiting. And I can't wait. Hey, Ken Krawchuk again here, and welcome to the me portion of episode 26 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant about something that really sticks in my craw. What is it today? The two old parties stealing libertarian ideas. Sounds like a real negative, doesn't it? Them stealing our ideas. Yeah, don't you hate that? No, actually, I think it's a great thing. Think about it. Because if the two old parties stole all of our ideas... I could fold up my tent and go home. That would be that. Mission accomplished, as George I would say. You know, history is jammed with examples of blatantly libertarian ideas being adopted by the two old parties. In fact, it's a political maxim that third parties are incubators for new ideas. And that's definitely true with us libertarians. As you know, we libertarians are the party of principle. Every law we support, every law we oppose can all be traced back to one central idea, The idea that your life is yours, that your property is yours, that you have the inalienable right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. That's it. That's what it means to be a libertarian. Your life, your way, as long as you respect others. 
It's the golden rule on a political level. And the public has reacted very positively to this message. Since our founding in 1971, we have grown to become the third largest party, hands down, outnumbering all the other third parties put together. I like to say we're the 800-pound chihuahua on the political scene. So it's no surprise they're stealing ideas with all that success. They're stealing our correct solutions to the correct problems, if I want to put it in Pennsylvania Project terminology. There are all sorts of examples throughout history of the adoption of libertarian ideas. And probably the biggest one is the abolition of slavery. But let's look at some recent successes here in Pennsylvania. And one of them is with that insane war on drugs. State after state after state is finally ending the war on cannabis. Even Pennsylvania is now allowing for medical cannabis. Thank you very much, but of course you got to have a state-approved disease. We're working on that. I don't know if you visited any of those free states lately, the ones that allow for cannabis. It's like a breath of fresh air. I was in Seattle a couple weeks ago, and they have dispensaries. They call them everywhere. That's what they call their cannabis distributors, dispensaries. You walk in there, and oh, it smells so good and green. You know, it's it was funny. When I walked in, the clerk walked up and he says, can I help you? And I just looked at him. I said, give me a minute. Back in Pennsylvania, I could get five to ten just for talking to you. <laughs> Let me catch my breath. Can you imagine how wonderful that felt? Just being there? A stolen libertarian idea in action right there in front of my face. It's like watching SpaceX launching their Falcon Heavy and then watching it the double booster landing side by side. It's a libertarian dream come true. And you know, along the same lines, I just heard that a federal court ruled in favor of safe injection sites for addicts in Philadelphia. Do you realize what a breakthrough that is for ending the opioid crisis? Portugal had stolen that idea from us libertarians back in 2001, that and free purity testing for addicts, and they reduced their opioid deaths by a whopping 85%. Now granted, Philadelphia isn't going to go whole hog and ending their entire insane war on drugs. But let's pause for a moment and just cherish the first step that they've taken in the proper direction. Baby step, yeah, but that's a step in the right direction. I hear the feds are going to appeal that. I don't understand. Makes me wonder, what are the feds smoking? What problem are they solving by appealing that sort of a decision? Certainly, it's not the problem of reducing opioid deaths. They're obviously not solving that because... If they win, it's going to be more opioid deaths. It's enough to make you a libertarian, ain't it? Many other examples, many examples of changes in the laws of Pennsylvania that started with the Libertarian Party and our your life, your way, as long as you respect others kind of approach. Things like medical cannabis I already mentioned. Homeschooling, another big one. Simple things like repealing the motorcycle helmet laws, your life, your way. Lowering ballot access hurdles for independents and third parties. Allowing for the creation of microbreweries. Hallelujah. And many, many, many others. All these were libertarian ideas they were pushing for long, long before they became popular. <coughs> Excuse me. Speaking of microbreweries, I could use a beer. Pennsylvania just took a huge step backward with them. They just raised the sales tax on breweries. 25% increase in the sales tax. Two steps forward, one step back, but let's take a moment to cherish those two steps. 
And there's another big move in the, liber- in the news right now, yet another libertarian idea. And it's not just any libertarian idea. It's something that Governor Wolf stole from me directly, personally. As you know, I ran for Pennsylvania governor on the libertarian ticket in 2018. And one of my major initiatives was to end this insane war on drugs, top to bottom, left to right, in and out. At that time, Governor Wolf was dead set against any kind of move like that. Quote, Pennsylvania isn't ready for it, he repeatedly said. Well, guess what happened? He flip-flopped on the issue. Apparently, he's gotten libertarian religion. I'll say hallelujah again. I couldn't believe it. I was stunned at first. I had to Google two, three, four, five places to make sure I heard it right. But you know, that's not the biggest part of it. It's not the best part of it. Because the line that he stole out of my playbook, I stole it directly out of the Pennsylvania Constitution. I'm surprised Governor Wolf even knows we have a Pennsylvania Constitution. But I digress. What's he suggesting? Something that I said I was going to do on my very first day in office. I had a short laundry list of things I was going to do before I broke for lunch. And the first thing was to start the ball rolling to pardon all nonviolent cannabis offenders. If you had just been kicking back, smoking a joint, watching The Simpsons and got busted, you were going to have a get-out-of-jail-free card from this governor candidate. But now, Tom Wolf is talking about that. He calls it an imperfect solution, but the only one that's available to him. And here it is again, right out of my playbook. To get around the legislature that's not going to listen to him. By the way, it's a Republican legislature, I must add. The way he's going to get out of it is word for word out of my platform. Go see for yourself. It's still on the web. KenK4PA.com with the digit four. And I'm not going to say what it is yet. I was, I was there in 2002 when I ran for governor against Ed Rendell. I have a beat-up index card with a sign pledge to pardon all those nonviolent drug war prisoners. I said on statewide television, I asked Mr. Rendell and Mr. Casey, our senator now, if they would sign it, and they both declined. I championed that same issue in 1998 when I was a libertarian candidate for governor against Tom Ridge, and he declined as well. And that's to use the power of the pardon to pardon all these nonviolent, these innocent people, all these innocent people who are in jail. Do you know how amazingly wonderful that feels? After fighting for this for over 20 years, for your right to keep and bear plants, for your right to live your life your way, do you know how it feels after fighting consistently and repeatedly to have the government stop ruining the lives of these, these innocent people who harm no ones? Do you know what it feels like to actually see it in the news? To actually see top elected officials putting in place my plan to end at least one piece of the insane war on drugs. Can you imagine how that feels? And people ask me, why do I waste my time tilting at windmills, fighting City Hall, running for public office, or bothering even to be on a radio talk show? Episode after episode, championing correct solutions to correct problems. Why? Why do I do it, they ask. Because of moments like right now, where I can sit back and say, finally, finally, we've won. We've won. I can't believe it. This victory doesn't only mean that innocent people will have their criminal records expunged and can finally get a decent job. It doesn't mean that a lot fewer taxpayer dollars are going to be wasted persecuting innocent people. 
It doesn't only mean that police can finally concentrate on real crimes and real criminals, not babysitting people over a plant. No, no, there's something even more momentous. Something that would make a lot of people very, very happy, including my campaign manager and a lot of libertarians, because I can finally retire my signature soundbite, one of my most favorite soundbites. Do you know what it is? <laughs> he's sitting in the corner, he's smiling already. Let me recite it for you one last time, now that it's no longer needed. Ready? Quote, We're releasing murderers and rapists from our overcrowded prisons to make room for pot-smoking Grateful Dead fans. Not any longer. And that's something to be very, very grateful for. On that unbelievable note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 26 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition, that is. And you can hear us there, iTunes, or other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Webmaster Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator and cohort Dodie Preston, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, radio producer Brett Kronberger, executive producer Mark Bazzacco, and meteor caster Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us, and remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. In the correct